Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I'm Connie, along with Quidditch world champion Meg. This is episode 36, and she's going to tell us all about Todd Colehep. I am. Also, Crumb. Crumb ain't got nothing on me. Uh, <laughs> I just, been- uh, hold on. I saw this earlier, just really fast before, and it said, it was a reel, and it said, you have an entire nation of wizards who can apparate, and you're sending your mail by owl. Isn't that animal cruelty? And I was like, damn, you got a point, man. And then he's like, and why are we living on the bylaws of one school if there's more than one just because you can't apparate in and out of Hogwarts? It's just... We... So... Harry Potter's on HBO Max or whatever now, like all of the movies. And I have them all on DVD, but you know, like who who does that anymore? <laughs> but I've been watching it with the boys and I never, you know, when you've seen them a million times, I've never realized how frustrating it was when they're like, what's happening? Is this, is this the part where this happens? Because like my oldest has read the books. He's like, is this where I'm like, shut up. Watch it. Just like Marsh the rest of us had to. Movie. <laughs> I don't know. Why don't you watch it? And then I got to use the like mom saying, you're watching the same thing I am. Yeah, but you've seen this like a million times. Yeah, because we're 100 years old. We're 5,000 years old. Speaking of obnoxious kids. Yeah. We we talk about people a lot who probably should have been under constant supervision as a kid. Mm -hmm. Right. And when parents or caregivers think they'll just grow out of it or they'll learn from it, it ends up taking a much darker turn. Today, I want to talk about Todd Colehep, who was 100% one of these people. Ooh, yikes. Yeah. Trigger warning for the day. Murder, uh, constraint, kidnapping, rape, assault, burglary. It's a real piece of work here. Our typical Wednesdays. It's just a, just another Wednesday here at Gruesome Podcast. All right. So on November 25th, 1986, in Tempe? 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 Tempe, Arizona. There we go. Todd Colehep was 16 years old. And like most 16-year-old boys, he had a crush on a girl who happened to be his neighbor. He shot his shot. She turned him down because she liked one of his friends. I'm just giving you some high school drama right now. But instead of going home and sulking like a normal teenage boy, Todd became jealous and enraged. He did go home, but Todd's father that weekend had received an emergency call and he left Todd at home and went and did his thing. So I guess his dad, something happened to him. And so he had to go out of town to help his dad. But he went out of town like frequently. This wasn't an uncommon thing to happen. He was going to be gone for three days. I think about like my oldest who just had his first like shooting his shot which was so adorable but he was like hey would you like to be my girlfriend and she was just like no I would not sorry and <laughs> sorry not sorry and he was just like literally he just said okay like, that's how it's supposed to be you're just like oh man now I'm sad for the weekend but I'll be yeah, fine on did. Monday he, like, didn't come out of his room. It was, I shouldn't laugh about it because it's like really sad for him but like that's that is normal it's not it's your normal first little to be heartbreak like, it's not normal to like get 
enraged. Well, you'll be glad that he did not react this way because they were neighbors, right? The girl's family knew Todd and his dad and Todd went over to her house and her parents were like, oh, we're about to leave, but she's home with uh, her siblings babysitting. So he waited for her parents to leave and he went back to her house, lured her outside and walked her to the back alley where Todd pulled out a 22 caliber handgun, put it to the back of her head and forced her to walk to his house. He made her go inside. We're just he... like getting right to it. There's like... Yeah, there's no... It's this started way early. He oh made her God. go inside where he tied her up, duct taped her mouth closed, laid a knife next to her and told her that if she screamed, he would stab her and he raped her. What the fuck? I'm sorry. I'm using no. five minutes in, but... It's okay. Yeah, it's... Oh my God. Yep. He just uh, lost his mind. But here's the thing, and we'll talk about this a little bit more. This is, was not a psychotic state for him. This was normal. He had always done crazy stuff. And I'll talk about it a little bit more in a minute. But after he was done, to- Todd told this girl that if she chose to tell anyone, he would murder her six-year-old and three-year-old siblings. And he walked her home. But when she got back into her house, there was already a police officer waiting inside because her six-year-old little brother had called the police because he couldn't find his sister. She was supposed to be watching them. So the officer had come to the house to wait with the little kids until she she got back. Can you imagine being that officer and being like, okay, this irresponsible teenager. Yes. I'm coming over. And And so she she walked in in and she, I would imagine it was just instant relief, you know, like, oh, cool. You're already here. Um, She's like, I have to talk to you. And he was immediately arrested. (laughs) Like she walked over there. The cop was a female. She walked over there (laughs) and arrested him immediately. And he was completely emotionless. Uh, That's scary. Yeah. All he asked was, what's going to happen to me? How much time can I expect to serve? Just... And Todd Todd had been attending therapy since he was eight or nine years old. So he had been in therapy because he was an aggressive kid. He was vindictive. He was obsessed with sex at a young age. He once murdered his goldfish that his mom gave him because he wanted a gerbil, quote unquote. He wanted a gerbil. He regularly destroyed stuff and he'd been doing so since he was little. Um, His mom and dad divorced when Todd was two and the explosive behavior kind of started after that but his parents weren't abusive <laughs> it's it's abandonment issues when I'll kind of explain who did he it. live with so he lived with his mom his dad left when she was when he was two, he lived with his mom. And then when he was 12, he went to go live with his dad. But when he was little, his mom's new husband adopted him and his dad signed over his rights. But then his mom was like, well, I think he needs he needs to know his natural father. So I want to send him out with you out here with you. And when That's it was sketchy. time to send him back, like he was just supposed to send a, spend a summer, but then he ended up spending like two years there. And his mom kept making excuses why he couldn't come back, essentially. So it's like... She didn't want him back. Exactly, yeah. It was neglect. And at the time, his mom approached, you know, angry little Todd the best way she knew how to. She stayed positive. She put him in therapy. But then she and Todd's stepfather divorced when he was 12. And that was when he went back. And <laughs> his so father... She had two... Or he had two dads. He had that, two dads. But that after, were out of... Like, his mom was divorced twice. Okay. Yeah. And then when she was 
trying, when he was trying to send him back to his mom again, his dad suggested that they put him up for adoption as a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> like you already have a kid that's like angry about authority and men and abandon and you're going to keep doing it. Uh, after Todd's arrest for kidnapping and raping his neighbor, he was charged with kidnapping, sexual assault, and committing a dangerous crime against a child. His case was moved from juvenile court because of the severity, and he was sentenced to 15 years in prison and forced to register as a sex offender. Um, the sexual the sexual assault charge was dropped for the record. Yeah, I know. The judge on that case, I'm going to read a quote that they said, approximately six years of intervention in 15 years of life have resulted in abysmal failure. 25 months of the most intensive and expensive professional intervention short of gods will provide no protections for the public and no rehabilitation of this juvenile by any services or facilities presently available in juvenile court. Essentially, they're like, this is a lost cause. And that judge was right. Even though his attorney argued that Todd was just an angry kid, he had a messed up childhood, he was abandoned, his mother wrote a letter to the judge asking if they would send him to his grandparents instead of prison. She wrote, he even walked the girl home. Does that sound like a dangerous criminal? After he told her he was going to murder her younger siblings if she told. Yep, his mom... Is also a piece of work. She remained, you know, you know, moms and their moms and their baby murderers. We've talked about it before. <laughs> Nothing like a mother's denial. But other neighbors also confirmed that Todd had tortured their children. He had put one kid in a dog cage and rolled it over, laughing as the kid was crying asking to be let out. He had like smashed clay pipes over kids in the neighborhood's head and laughed. Just a gnarly, gnarly dude. Yes. When he was getting his psychological testing as a kid, it was suggested that he had a number of things going on with him. First, he had an IQ of 118 at 16 years old, which is above that. Yeah, that's very... <laughs> yeah, so he was very intelligent. He had really poor grades in school, so it just showed he didn't apply himself because he had a very entitled attitude. He felt like... Like he was owed something. And in addition to that, he had a high level of antisocial personality disorder. He was manipulative and self-centered. And I mentioned this earlier, he had not no psychosis during the kidnapping and rape. He just shut his feelings off. So when they shifted his case to adult court, he went to jail and he was there until 2001. He was there for 15 years. But when he got out, all he had really learned was how to trick people. He learned to play the part of a normal person person and he loved the satisfaction of fooling society into believing that he was a rehabilitated man while he had been in prison he earned his bachelor's degree in computer science so he got out moved to his mother's house in south carolina and immediately got a job as a graphic designer and he worked there for two years until he started attending technical college in 2003 and while he may have looked normal on the outside you know recovered convict getting jobs and having a degree, he was ready to explode. On November 3rd, 2003, just a few months after he got out of jail, (laughs) no few years, sorry, he got out in 2001, a person walked into a motorcycle shop called Superbike Motorsports just before closing. This person shot the owner, Scott Ponder, who was 30. They shot Scott's mother, Beverly Guy, who was 52. She was the bookkeeper for the business. They shot the shop mechanic, Chris, who was 26. 
26, and the business manager, Brian Lucas, who was 30. Each person was shot, and then the shooter left. The bodies were discovered the next day by a regular customer. And initially, police suspected this couple who was involved with drugs, and that fizzled out. And then the police were like, oh, it's Scott's pregnant wife, Melissa. She did it. Because during a visit to the police station for another round of questioning, while Melissa was changing her brand new baby's diaper, the police took it from trash from the trash and did a DNA test on it. And when the results came back, it was revealed that the baby wasn't her husband's. So <laughs> it said that this baby was his friend and business manager's baby. Baby, Brian Lucas, one of the other guys that was shot. So this was suddenly a, you know, she love he quarrel. found out. Yeah, love triangle. She, he found out and you shot them both to avoid it. And when they confronted her about it, she was like, no, no way. You swab that kid's mouth in front of me and run it again. And they did. And it came back again saying that the baby was Brian's not Scott's. And after this, Melissa refused to speak to police anymore, which, you know, looks looks suspicious, but I also don't blame her. And this went on for 18 months after these superbike murders. And the police were focused so hard on pinning this specific murder on Melissa that they let a lot of other leads go. The lab ended up running Beverly, his mother's DNA, against Scott's. And it was also not a match because the police had mixed up Brian and Scott's DNA samples. Yeah, that's what I knew about it, yeah. Yeah. And Melissa, it, go ahead. <laughs> can you, you, because like... No, this poor I, woman, I, like I, your I, husband so... has been murdered. You have a newborn baby. She said that her grandmother-in-law died thinking that the baby wasn't Scott's. What the? And then two years, two entire years of this. Yeah, exactly. Can you imagine being like, wait a second, that's not his mom either? His mom was actually this. This is, what's wrong with this family? Oh, Nothing, it's you. Something isn't right here. Yeah, you guys. <laughs> It's you. It's you. Spoiler alert. Y'all fucked up. Like, it's you. So investigators on this had done an interview with the last person who had been in the shop that night, second to last person who had been in the shop that night, and the witness had described seeing a man who entered around the same time he was leaving. He said that the man had asked about motorcycles, but he didn't seem to know very much about them. It was obvious how little he knew about them because he noted that this guy was kind of off-putting and wondered what what are you doing in a motorcycle shop if you don't know yeah, anything you don't about know them. Anything. Yeah. Uh, and they wouldn't know who this man was until 13 years later. I that wonder case, who he was. <laughs> I wonder. That case went cold for 13 years and then Todd Colehead <laughs> he started technical technical school right before I told you that story and he got his real estate license and he started his own real estate company TKA Real Estate I mentioned he loved playing the part and that worked really well for his career in real estate pretend to be just you know nice enough for long enough to sell someone a house mm-hmm. but sometimes he let the facade slip clients complained that he was over 
overtly sexual, or he would just go on and on about guns. He ran his real estate business for eight years and more than a dozen agents came and went. Most of them saying that Todd was quick to be angry. He was condescending. He would go to his back office and just watch porn. <laughs> Don't mind me. I'll be in the back. Pretty like legitimately. Watch. That's exactly what would happen. He would get mad and just go to the back. But none of that stopped him from doing very well for himself. In 2014, he bought his very first home, which I thought was weird that he became a real estate agent in like, what, 2005? And he didn't buy a house till 2014. Not relevant, but I just thought about it. That is a little strange. Yeah, he bought um, his first home for $305,000. It was a hundred acres with a huge barn. Uh, and then he spent $80,000 to enclose the entire property with a fence. Think of how much that would be in today's wood prices. Yeah, so much money. Oh. Todd ate out for every meal, specifically so he could leer at servers. He would leave huge tips and ask the woman serving his food if they would come home with him. And every single person who described waiting on Todd called him one word. Creepy. Yep. I knew you would know. (laughs) I knew you would all know. (laughs) Uh, Second uh, creepy dude quiz. Can you guess what his favorite restaurant was? And it's not Hooters. Applebee's. That's a good guess. Uh, Think breakfast. IHOP. Waffle House. Waffle House. (laughs) Todd Kolheb's favorite restaurant was Waffle House. Look, I this is no dis- disrespect to Waffle House because I can throw <laughs> down at a Waffle House. <laughs> but it is not a classy establishment. And that's why I like it. Like <laughs> you go there after like a long night or in the middle of a long night and you have like the greasiest, grossest. Your table's not clean. The floor's no. not clean. Nope. He would eat breakfast there every day. He ordered six eggs, double cheesy. Does that I mean, make I'm you- not going to say anything about that because that's how I eat my eggs. <laughs> Double cheese. <laughs> Uh, there was six, six eggs. That's a half a dozen eggs. That's insane. I can only eat them if they're deviled like that. <laughs> I can definitely eat. Like six. when you put it like that, it doesn't <laughs> sound like so much. Like, would you like me to scramble six eggs for you? Ew, no. Would you like me to fill them with mustard and mayonnaise? Yes, I'll eat yeah. six of those. Twelve, really. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that was a big digression. One of the women who worked at the waffle house. Her name was Megan Coxie and Todd became obsessed with her. Megan was married to a guy named Johnny and they had actually only been out of jail for a month when oh, she started Oh, the two work- of them? Yes, Megan and Johnny Coxie. They had a serious heroin addiction. Oof. Todd saw this as a weakness, so he asked Megan if she and Johnny would maybe want to make some extra money working on some of his property. And they agreed, but that was the last time anyone heard from Megan or Johnny Coxie. They were reported missing by Megan Megan's mom on December 22nd, 2015. Almost one year later, in August of 2016, Kayla Brown, who's 30, went to Todd Kolhep's home under the guise of doing some work on his property. Her boyfriend, Charlie Carver, who was 32, he went to help her. Kolhep had kind of known Kayla, uh, which is why he offered the job to her. When they got there, he unlocked the fence for them. They drove down to the two-story barn, uh, which had a large shipping container next to it. After they got out, Todd explained he's going to go get them some supplies in the barn, and he went into the barn, and they waited outside. 
but when he returned, he was armed and he just straight up shot Charlie three times in the chest, just right immediately in front of Kayla. She was shocked. I can't even imagine. Yeah, no, he just walks out. Sounds like a movie. She couldn't move, deer in a headlight, and he grabbed her, put her in a headlock and told her that he would kill her if she didn't go with him. He told her that it's easier to control someone when you take someone they love. If she would try to fight back, he made it clear that she would die. Todd Kolhep raped her in the barn immediately. He chained her up, confessed that he didn't want to hurt her, but he chained her up and locked her in that shipping container, occasionally forcing her to follow him so that Todd could scare her into trying to not escape. He would show Kayla the graves of Megan and Johnny Coxey, and he described their murders to her in grisly detail. He had shot Johnny in the stomach and kept Megan as his prisoner for a week. Todd told Kayla, she pissed me off, so I killed her. Megan had been shot in the head the week of Christmas the previous year. He also told her that his kill count was nearing three digits. Mm, oh, yeah. wow. Well, <laughs> we have plenty of time to speculate that on that on the end. Uh, but <laughs> Charlie's mother, the Kayla's boyfriend who was shot immediately, said, that she did not go one day without talking to her son. But after she hadn't heard back from him in a couple of days, she called the couple's apartment and asked the management to check on them. There was no answer, so the manager went inside their apartment and found Kayla's Pomeranian with no food or water. Kayla's mom was like, there's no way she would leave her dog like that. That's her baby. And so missing persons reports were filed the first week of September. By September 7th, investigators had begun getting search warrants for the couple's cell phones so that they could ping their last possible location, but they had different carriers. They gave different areas where the phones might be, and then Charlie's Facebook was hacked, and a note was posted that the couple had just chosen to leave. And then he people started getting messages from his account asking for money, so police started getting warrants for their Facebook accounts. Another kind of weird fact about this was that Charlie Carver's ex-wife, Nicole Carver, repeatedly told investigators that she had spoke to both Charlie and Kayla. She said that they were alive, they were fine, that they were talking to other people as well, but she was obviously lying. They didn't know that, though. They were still following up on all these leads that she was providing them. Her lies delayed finding Kayla, and after they were revealed, she ended up being charged with impersonating the lead detective on this case, because Nicole had called AT&T and tried to get them to tell her where Charlie Carver's cell phone had last pinged. Why? I don't know. I that's honest, very for what reason? Weird. I so they for why? Kayla and Charlie hadn't been in a relationship that long and they had only just moved in together like a month or so before. Oh, she was like still hanging on. Yeah, their divorce wasn't even final yet. Oh, there it is. Yeah, so I think that's part of why. The lead detective on the case, her name was Charlene Azell. She got a very convoluted tip that said Brown was buried on a 100-acre farm in Spartanburg. She's very specific. I also have no idea like where she got that tip. It didn't say how she got it. Um, But as she began to work through their Facebook pages, she found several communications from Kayla about meeting Todd Colehead at his house. And he was going to take the couple to a property to do some landscaping work in order to make some extra money. And as she continued to dig up information on Colehead, she learned that he owned a 100 acre farm that was within the mapping areas of the cell phone towers. 
that the detectives had found. It was the last area that had any outgoing communication from the couple. So detectives headed to the property where they found Todd's electronic gate system, his new fence and signs everywhere warning people that no trespassing would be tolerated. They flew a helicopter over, but a lot of the land was wooded and they could really only just see buildings. In the meantime, Kayla was being held captive. Colehep would come into the storage container every day between one and three. For the first few weeks, he never removed her handcuffs, but he would unchain her neck and feet, point a gun at her, and direct her to an apartment that he had built above his garage. This was where he would feed her once a day and force her to do whatever sex acts he wanted. Then Kayla would be returned to the container. Occasionally, she was allowed to bathe herself with a white washcloth and a pot of hot water. Kayla said that she slept on a dog bed with a tan blanket and blue pillow. And that is true. I will post pictures on the Instagram of the dog bed that she was kept on, which is really awful and sad. Yeah, that's disgusting. She was there for 65 days before police figured out that they needed a warrant to search Todd Kolhep's property. Once they got it, they arrived and he told police that Brown and Carver had done some landscaping, but they left after an hour because it was too hot. It's like, she was unreliable. She left. But when they began to look around the property, Kayla heard them from inside the container and started screaming and banging on the walls. They cut the locks and found her locked in a shark cage within the container. A chain hung down from the top of the cage to the collar around her neck. And after her shock subsided that she was being saved, she just looked at officers and said, thank you so much for finding me. As they continued to search the property, they found numerous illegally purchased weapons and ammunition. It was, the quote I read was, a treasure trove of ammunition. Uh, Charlie Carver's car had been pushed down a hill and covered with brush, and they also found the two shallow graves of Megan and Johnny Coxie. Both had now been missing for over a year. But just like Todd's first arrest, he went without emotion. Just like meh. Mm -hmm. They had him on kidnapping, but what they were not expecting was for him to confess to the Superbike's motorsports murders because he had never even been on their radar. Yeah, why would he have been? Like, yeah, he's... There was no reason. Todd promised that he would confess to everything if they just let him talk to his mother, if they let him transfer some money to a friend's child's college fund, which I don't know what that was about, but they let him. They agreed. And he told his mom everything he had done. Still, mom's gonna hang on, be your biggest advocate. She understood that he had killed at least seven people because they had embarrassed him. According to his mom, Todd was misunderstood. He was a loner. But he was kind and ambitious and not a monster. And she said she doubted that he had actually murdered the superbike victims. She said, I'm not positive he did the motorbike killings. He acted stupid, but I don't know. Is that how you're going to describe your son's murdering people? He acted stupid. I don't know what to do with that. It's like you look at her and be like, you are why he is like this. Oof. Yeah, she's. <laughs> you threw him out like trash to his dad and then was like nah son like I, he can't come live with me and then you wonder why he has these huge abandonment issues and huge egos and you every time you're around them you pump them up like you're the best you're the best you're the best but like not good enough to like I want you to live with me right exactly so now he's constantly reaching ugh and when he wants to call mommy the first time like I what call me mom like okay mom issues like that's mommy and daddy issues mm. but he did confess to the superbike murder yeah, it's like, 
why would I mean it's one thing to like be like oh he talked about this to his friends but to be to be arrested for two murders kidnapping rape assault three murders I'm sorry you're gonna be like I don't think he did those and then to like why would if he didn't do them why would he be like oh yeah by the way I also killed five other people and he knew specific details about that crime mm-hmm. scene. Like that they, each of those victims were shot once in the head. And he, that detail was never released to the public, but he knew that that was what had happened. And he confessed to murdering the Coxies and Charlie Carver. But he also claimed that there were other victims. He said he had shot someone in Arizona when he got out of jail. He is also a person of interest in an unsolved 2003, same year as the Superbike, a 2003 bank robbery and triple murder at the Blue Ridge Savings Bank, South Carolina. Cole Hepp wrote to a local paper in 2017 and claimed that he had more victims that had never been discovered, but he's never given any details about where these bodies or murders might be. I'm not doubting that he doesn't, but I also think at this point he also wants attention. attention. Yeah, he had all of his stuff was auctioned off and they um, they like gave money to all of these people from it, but he was doing the thing where he was like selling his hand out lines from prison stuff like that Ugh, that's people grosses me out i say i tread lightly when i say this because we have a true crime podcast but the people who have buy this, that like, shit you buy and then like even the people who sell like stuff from like john wayne gacy and it's like oh he, he no like yeah there was a uh, I i try to follow like on social media i try to follow other true crime podcasts back they follow us mm-hmm. and i saw one and i was like oh it's a true crime thing i'm gonna go check it out and it was an Instagram that just sold stuff from like murderers and serial killers in prison. And I was like, mm, nope. I'm fascinated nope, 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 nope. by murderers and I'm fascinated by serial killers, but I would never want to own something of theirs. Yeah. For what? Yeah. Uh, I think it was, I think it was John Wayne Gacy who used to paint and like he would sell his paintings from prison. And one of the people who bought a bunch of them bought them to burn them. Good. And I'm like, I support that. Yeah. But and, and here's the thing some. I like oddities, I like bizarre decor, but that doesn't qualify, I don't think. You're no. sensationalizing some serial serial. I have at the that point. same feelings for that as the people who are like, Oh my god, he's so attractive. Like yeah. I feel the same for both types of people. Yeah, and the same <laughs> so I don't love sensational ser- sensationalist serial killer names either like the night stalker like, that sounds fucking badass and i don't yeah. think that they deserve that todd colehub actually got a pretty stupid one that i'll tell you in just a minute because it is creepy but before on november 7th 2016 he was charged with four counts of murder for the superbike murders one count of kidnapping in the case of kayla brown he four was or five ch- murders at the superbike four it was the business manager the mechanic his mom and the owner scott oh okay for some reason i was thinking five um he was charged with three counts for charlie megan and johnny and then an additional count of kidnapping and three counts of possession of a weapon during the commission of a violent crime which was a new one i had never heard that one i didn't know that was even a thing Mm -mm. on may 26th he pled guilty to seven counts of murder two counts of kidnapping and one count of sexual assault he was sentenced to seven consecutive life 
life sentences without the possibility of parole. He didn't get the death sentence because he took a plea bargain. Of course. As we know. So his stupid serial killer name that he got from the media was the Amazon Review Killer. And this is why. He, some of the things that he used in these murders, he had purchased from Amazon and wrote reviews on them. And he purchased a knife from Amazon and wrote, haven't stabbed anyone yet, but when I do, it will be with a quality tool like this. The padlocks that were on the shipping container that held Kayla Brown, he left a review for them that said, solid locks, have five on a shipping container, won't stop them, but will sure slow them down till they're too old to care. But wait, there's more. He left another review for a shovel with a folding handle that read, keep in the car for when you have to hide the bodies and you left the full size shovel at home. And all of these reviews were linked back to his personal wish list. And it's funny. Like, I see that and I'm like, what the hell? But I shop on Amazon like pretty much exclusively. <laughs> and I would see that and I'd be like, eh. but yeah. now like you've tainted Amazon reviews. I love reading Amazon reviews. Yeah, you could, like, I appreciate the art of the Amazon reviews. Some people are so good at them. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm gonna buy it just because of this one stupid review. But what kills me about this whole case, about this whole thing is how stupid this guy was the whole time. He was so dumb. And I know we say that we love a dumb criminal, but this guy was a moron and he still got lucky every step of the way. Mm-hmm. That's all it was. Just luck. I'm sick at the fact that he like, I mean, we we're going to cover, I'm sure, hundreds of cases where the murderer or like us, you know, like rapists, they prey on people who have addictions because to them, they're easy targets. They're easy to manipulate. They're easy to like lure be- with the you know and it seemed like his mo was couples too yeah and it's and then he kills the dad (laughs) the man yeah like yeah the dad yeah 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 yeah, right but in like with the first couple they were barely sober so i know like i mean we know people from back home that if they were clean 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 and then like they disappear i would think oh they probably fell off the wagon Mm -hmm. which is horrible addiction is a horrible disease and i'm not going to discredit that at all because it is it literally is a disease it's i think it's like so the people who can fight it and I don't want to say beat it because I know it's a fight every single day I you know I have people that I care about who you know they they fight that fight they fight that fight but it's just unfortunate that it that it can because be because they had had all these troubles they probably they you know police probably didn't look for them that hard yeah and it's just it's awful and to watch the person you love like be shot and then be kept held captive for 65 days but honestly you know what what? Good for her. She pl- did what he does. She played the part yep. like he does and it kept her alive. He would yeah. pretend to be, you know, like pretend to be normal and manipulate people. And she did the same thing. And I'm so glad that she did. Yeah. I also want to talk about his mom again <laughs> because she did. Her name was Regina, but everyone called her Reggie. She did this interview for 48 hours and said that he had to chain Kayla up because she saw him shoot her boyfriend and she would have told on him if he left. And then the interviewer asked her well why would why did he shoot her boyfriend and his mom said because he got nasty and smart mouthed and todd had hired him to do some stuff and todd pays well the guy got mouthy about it from what i gathered and said he said some smart things so i guess todd shot him (laughs) it was just like i feel like if i were that interviewer i'd be looking around like that is not how any of this works like you yeah (laughs) what's wrong with you and And then with the super bike murders she said he always wanted a motor 
motorcycle. He didn't know how to ride it and they made fun of him. They laughed at him that he was hurt. That's I've been why. made fun of a lot and I've never shot it. I've never shot four people. And I go back to like, you're not going to keep her captive because like you shot her boyfriend. It's because if that were the, if I were like, oh my God, she knows what I did. A person who wasn't driven by like the rape and the torture aspect of it would have just shot her. Yep. And she, his mom said he did his best to make her comfortable. Like one, she was sleeping on a dog bed, but and making he raped her, her every single day and making her comfortable was letting her have like books to read because she had books and like a, la- a battery powered lantern while she was in there and like a jar of peanut butter with crackers. I want to punch Reggie in the face. Yeah, Reggie, you suck. Well, she died the next year. She died in 2017. Um, Good. Yeah. And Kate, I feel very sad. Kayla has had a rough life since then. Uh, she, her next boyfriend stabbed himself from what I read and died. What? Yeah. And then she had another incident recently, but um, she needed her medication essentially. Cause I can imagine that this guy just ruined, you know, I don't know how I would be able to cope with 65 days of that. Yeah. That's crazy. Like, and I would think her. at a I certain she's point, like playing that part would exhausting. A, yeah. And it's a means of survival, but I would think at a certain point it would like, I, I think it had because the police said that it was lucky that they found her when they did because Todd had already dug a new shallow grave right next to Charlie Carver's and she probably wouldn't have been around much longer. And Mm. that Nicole Carver lady for messing with the entire investigation for what? For what? I want to know where that random tip came in about the 100 acre I do too. I, you know, there were, um, ID did like a show special and I did not watch the shows that ID did. So maybe they have it in there, but Mm. it was like a six part thing and I was just mostly reading like the I like the way you presented it because I have heard this like I've read about this case before but I have read it from the motorcycle murders like from that point yeah well it was cold case for 13 it was on unsolved mysteries that's I hate the trauma that parents can cause to their like can cause their children this entire thing was just traumatic for every single person involved and I know that like his mom I put him in therapy but like we are uh, for our Patreon listeners, like we are doing um, Carl Panzram for our bonus episode this month because, you know, that's where we cover like our big cases. And when you were talking about him going like getting charged as an adult and like going to prison, I had that's what I was thinking of. It's, you know. It's children that was brutal and he was 16, but it's just, I don't, I I have weird feeling. There needs to be like a middle ground, I think, with those kind of things. Like that's not juvenile court. It's not adult prison. And why can't it be, and I know like the justice system, I'm not stupid. I know how it works, but it would be so nice if the judge and like therapist, because a therapist would be able to see right through this shit and like be able to be like, yeah, you're not firing on all cylinders. Well, I read his. I would. I think that they probably were. I wonder if he waited to buy a house to where he uh, couldn't. He wasn't registered as a sex offender anymore. No, he had to be. He was registered. It was a lifetime. He lied. He lied to get his real estate license because he wouldn't have been able to get it. No. Yeah, he lied Hmm. to get it. Um. The so have you do have you watched Mindhunter? A little bit. Okay. So the guy that that 
show is based on. There's like a real lie, real life FBI profiler guy. He was the guy who looked over Todd Kolhepp's case. And well, he looked over the Superbike Motorsports case and he said, this is a disgruntled customer. I wouldn't be surprised if he was in that file somewhere. And he was. He had been in there a couple of times he had gotten, they gave him, he apparently he had had a motorcycle and it got stolen. And so they were teasing him like, oh, you're going to get another motorcycle stolen. Typical shop talk. Like, Yeah, exactly. But this right? also goes back to like humiliation and you dudes. Have to, you have to watch how you talk to people. You never know when someone is on that. You never like, know what will make him snap. Yeah, you like, and he, if what he says is true, he had already been murdering people prior to this. So you think, oh, haha, like it's funny to joke until you're joking with a murderer and he comes back. Like, I'm not saying it was like their fault, obviously, but no, like it's yeah. just one of those, like, uh, be nice because you don't you know who's to. having a bad day. That Mindhunter guy said he believes him, though. He believes that there are other, there are other victims out there. I agree. You don't go from nothing. I don't want to say nothing because, like, he, like, to holding a woman captive and raped to four murders like yeah. just random cold-blooded murders like that and they were probably just i mean you go like at places like that like if you if you've been in there a few times and you've like div- like they probably just thought they were just like, like yeah we know this guy like he's his bike stolen i mean we we <laughs> We got our car stolen. Like, uh, my husband's truck got stolen, um, literally out of a burrito, like a burrito stop parking lot. And <laughs> I remember, so that that happened. And then the week after we had our like youngest daughter, our car got stolen out of our driveway. And I remember people being like, "Not again, really? <laughs> How do you What's get wrong two with you? cars stolen?" <laughs> so, like, I understand like the joking aspect of it, but it honestly like it makes me think more because I am like you and. I both are very sarcastic people by nature with like that. Yeah. And to strangers. Sharp. Yeah. Like there it doesn't matter who you are. I will talk some shit to you. No problem. Yeah. And it's. It makes me feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Like people would be. It's I'm like sure a front. People could hear like the two of us talk to each other and they're like. The hell's wrong with them? Are they friends? Like, are they just talking shit to each other? But we don't mean anything by it. But now I'm like, maybe I should stop. Maybe I should stop talking casual shit to people. That I don't know. Not going to stop to the people that I do know, though. <laughs> Surprise. Oh, man. Yeah, that was a. It, it was kind of all over the place there in the middle, but I'm glad you stuck with me. <laughs> yeah, I. This case is insane. And I remember hearing about it because of the Facebook, like, uh, the. He had logged onto their Facebooks to be like, hey, I'm good. That's yeah, so it's, crazy. Um, I just. When I first started reading about this, I didn't realize that it went all the way to like 2017. Yeah. That it was so recent. I don't think I've done one that recent yet. So I was Man. like, all right, let's go. Let's go. Well, so we were. That, so that was. A bummer <laughs> that was a big bummer uh what are you thinking about i'm just thinking of like how i feel like patients like todd should even after they get out of prison they should be held in a psychiatric place yes yes think of all of the convicted sex offenders murderers kidnappers who the the justice system is like oh yeah like you're really messed up in the head there's no hope for rehabilitation but hey you served your time get on out i yeah, don't his psychologist feel like even shit. noted as a, as a 16 year old noted in his thing that he has a moderate moderately high to high 
chance of re reoffending. We just that we have to give the chance for rehabilitation, but when there is no chance, why do we let them go? Because we don't know when there is or isn't a chance. Oof, I know. I feel like Peace. we don't listen to the psychiatrist enough when it comes to like, and I say we as like an American, because I feel like other countries they're like, oh yeah, you're out of prison, but hang out in the psych ward forever. Like, I don't know. Is it? Uh, it's one of those like happy countries they have like the highest rates of happiness but their Sweden. prisons just look like tiny little apartments i was like i would live in that that's nice as hell but they don't have the violent murders that we do yeah that's true like which is and i know like throw the throw it out there everyone always does well their countries are smaller like we have more resources than anyone on the planet and we still have people shooting up schools every week so once oh more than once a week yeah i saw that like we had had how many mass murders already this year like it's more than a hundred in case you didn't know is broken that's just like that's the most blank way and it's not just like you have people who were caught dealing weed who are serving longer than people who have raped children and that yep. is the problem with america that 100 and i will die on that hill so if anyone has if you, opinions against it if you'd like to come and fight us on a hill that's the one where we're going down that's on. the one i'm gonna die on Ugh. and I have such big feelings about that. And I and any crimes against children in general, I don't think dropping sexual assault should ever be an option. That should never be an option. I thought that was so weird that they dropped the sexual assault charge. Like, why not drop the confinement? You know, like, if you're trying to drop something, because he still had to register as a sex offender. So, like, what would... Yeah, it was the um, crime against a child. It was that one and the kidnapping, but the sexual assault was dropped. I bet he took... I bet it was another plea deal honestly i i hate them but i love them i think of like jacob wetterling and i think of like that's how his a plea deal is how his parents you know uh, yeah i got he, the yeah, information that they, needed. that they needed but it's so messy it's just messy why you I'm did the perfect that reel did. about it you, oh, like when you were talking about like why was it between like manslaughter and like second degree and for anyway we understand why but it's yes. still annoying it's not it was like, a like joke <laughs> it was we know exactly how hard it is to for first degree murder like we know but like but still, the fact that it is is so annoying just like like ugh. i understand manslaughter like if it were an accident like you know a kid is driving his car for the first time momentary lapse of judgment no it doesn't make it better that he wrecked into this car and like someone died from it should he be in the same level as someone who like purposely murdered someone no like I get that but my like I don't understand how I'm gonna get on my tangent for a second you can stop listening if you'd like second degree murder attempted murder those mm-hmm. are the two that it's like so we are giving them less because they didn't plan it like they didn't well like, so like, it's not that they didn't plan it they just intended to hurt them not murder them but then they yeah. accidentally murdered them like what that's not yeah. any better like the premeditation <laughs> isn't there. but hey like also let's give you less time because you tried to be a murderer and failed yeah exactly right like that is uh, uh, attempted you, murder 
you don't have to send as much because you're a shitty murderer. You should spend longer because you're yeah. going to try it again. Yeah. Like I attempted murder is one that really just pisses me off. And then like dropping sexual assault. Yeah. Like that's a smack in the face to his victim. Really the entire, just all of the justices in general pisses me off. But And in your this episode of Criminology 101. <laughs> I'm glad that we don't actually have to do it. We get to commentate on Yeah. <laughs> I know it's harder than it looks, but God damn, why are we letting people, oh, you try, you try to murder her? Oh, you, you tried to rape her, but like it didn't, it didn't work out as planned. Okay. You we'll give you attempted. To, you just choked her to death instead on accident. Three Yeesh. to five years. We're going to give you three to five years. You could be out in four with good behavior because you tried to murder her and you failed. So good job. But this guy with fucking two pounds of weed, you're going away for 10. Yeah. That's a federal offense, brother. The audacity. Ugh. Well, I'm glad he's never getting out. Yeah, no, he's done. And I hope he has a horrible time. And I hope you guys don't buy his stupid fucking hand drawings. And if you did, please stop listening because we don't need that kind of negativity yeah, we on don't podcast. want you. You're not our friend anymore. <laughs> you don't even uh, have to tell us. You can just stop listening. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Well, I don't even have anything to say after that. It's okay. You're you're right though. When I posted that thing and people were like, it's really hard to tell. I was just like, I, just, it was just a joke. And like you handle the negative comments with such grace that I love it because I do not have that in I'm going to I'm gonna call one out for a second just because it made me laugh. Did you see the one where they said DNA wasn't a thing since until 2000? Yes. <laughs> and I was just like, all right. Who's going to tell them? <laughs> all right, friend. Who's going to tell him i hope that that person listens to our podcast now and also there are no there like there is no statute of limitations on capital murder, murder. there is no statute of limitations i got sick of being like there's no statute of limitations <gasps> there's none the amount of times i saw statute of limitations has entered the chat i was just like Ugh. My eyes touched my brain every time. You just do so well with it. And like, I just, you know, my black, like my black and white brain pops in and I'm like, I, what I want to say, I know I'm not trying to be rude, but I know it comes off as rude. So I'm going to not say anything. Yeah, that's the plan. I try to like make the ones for the podcast good, but on my personal one, I had one at like 150,000 right now and I'm getting the dumbest comments on it. And I'm just like, like it was a joke. I did not know that all of these people would see it. I'm what sorry. What was it? Which one was it? The one where I'm like told my husband I needed to get my hair oh, cut. Oh yeah. And he was like, it has 150 thousand views and still going. And people are like, why would you marry some? Like, why would you do that to somebody you love? And I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not trying to incite violence here. <laughs> but just also trying to make a stupid reel for my friends. <laughs> I have one reel that I made when they first started like doing it when I like went from like blonde hair to back to dark hair and it's got you know 600 views on it but I also have my like Instagram where I don't like I don't have anybody following me and then I get on there and I see messages and I don't respond to them for like weeks at a time and it's a problem it's fine I like looking at social media but like I'm not good at engaging in it you're not social on social media. I'm not social on social media I just like to I'll Although, like, a lot of the mess, like, I read every single message that comes through, but Megan is so, 
so quick on the responses. I'm like, yeah, what she said. Nailed it. But if it's like something like really dope, I will come in with like a second one. Like, oh, hey, yeah. by the way. Connie only responds if she really wants to. So. Yeah, if you can. <laughs> I read them all and like I think they're so great but I just I I'm not good at it I am not good at social media at all and I sound like my mom saying that like I'm just not good at it I saw a thing it was like you know kids today think of us how we thought of people who were born in the 60s wait that doesn't add up but it does add up oh man it's true I think I used all my like social media on MySpace you did exhausted yeah, that was enough thanks myspace i got catfish by a pete wentz catfish and- oh man i love that story it's my favorite story i keep that one in the memory bank for when i need a good laugh <laughs> I, uh we'll That's see you next it. week <laughs> thank you so much for listening to gruesome horrific true crime we love you beautiful strangers and if you love us too and you'd like us to keep putting out ad free content Here are some of the ways that you can help support Gruesome. You can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us, and you get a I knew them before they were famous moment. Follow Gruesome Podcast on Instagram and talk to us on our posts. Engage with us. We'd love to hear from you there. If you'd like to send a donation, we have a Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and to gain access to exclusive Patreon perks. If a one-time donation is more your thing, you can find our Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and our PayPal using our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether or not that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. Bye.